morning, everyone. We're so glad you're here. Next week, I'm so excited, we're going to start a four-part series on how to live the godly way. And it'll have some better title than that, but that's what I'm working with right now. So, But this morning, we're talking about God's direction. So many people, they want to know, what is God's plan for my life? How am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to do this or do that? And it's like, it's this big ethereal thing of God is up in the sky, and how is he supposed to talk to me? How am I supposed to know what he wants? So today is kind of like the prelude to that, and next couple of weeks we're going to be digging into some real practical things of how to live and how to apply what God wants for us. Proverbs 21, 2 says, every way of a man seems right to the man, but it is God who searches the heart. So when I hear that scripture, and whenever I was growing up, we had to memorize, I think I've told you guys, chapters of the Bible every month for the Christian school that I went to, and that was one of the ones. And that one stuck out to me, because no matter what I think, I always think I'm right. Does anybody relate to that? Everybody, like, if you do something, you think you're right. You're not going, hey, I know I'm wrong, and I'm just going to keep doing this wrong thing. Even if you have a conflict, circling back to last month, this month of relationships, If there's conflict, why is there conflict? Because both people think they're what? Right. Every way seems right to a man. But it's God who comes in and searches and goes, hey, wait a minute, you're not right over there and you're not right over there, so how about we fix those things? So that's what we need to look at and say, God, I need you to talk to me. I need you to give me instruction because I can't trust my own heart. I can't trust what I think is the right way. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to to throughout all the years that they say, my life is a mess. I don't know what to do. Why is that the case? Because they're trusting in what they know. They're trusting in what they think and what they think is right. But it's God who searches our hearts. Psalms, it says God's ways are higher than our ways. The same way that the sky, the heavens is higher than us, God up in heaven is higher than us. He doesn't even think the same way that we do. And here's a a spoiler alert. That's the first thing we're talking about next week is what we think about. But it's impossible that we won't know how he thinks unless we look into what he's going to give us the way to think. We don't even know how to get there, except he gives us direction. So that's what we're looking for this morning. God's direction. God, show me the way I'm going to go. If you want to go on a trip, if you want to go to, I'm not going to say Jamaica, though that's just popping in my mind from Tyler just talking about that. But if you want to go to, let's say, El Paso. I don't know why anybody would want to go to El Paso, but let's say you want to go to El Paso. If you don't know the direction you're going, it's going to be really difficult, right? You can sit there and go, man, I really want to go, but how do I get there? Which way do I go? And I Uh, what's my next step? I mean, what road do I need to get on? Once you get on the road, it's pretty easy to keep duplicating what you're doing, right? Once you get on the interstate, you say, I'm going to keep going for three years, and then I'll be in El Paso. But we need to know the next step. We have to know the direction. 
People look at the life that God's called us to. And I heard a minister, Jesse Duplantis, says, you know, I ask God, how much is it going to cost me to do this life? And he goes, not much. It's just going to cost you everything. I'm like, (laughs) but isn't that true? He wants us to give him everything. We looked at last month, a couple of weeks ago, how do I forgive? How much do I forgive? How often do I forgive? Everything. We looked at, and I'm telling you, this has so impacted me so much in the last two weeks now of the message from two weeks ago about forgiveness and forgiving in advance, the same way God forgave us in advance. That that's not something I can just go, well, that's just what God did for me, but that's what he expects from me. Andrew talked about in worship time how we can have a time that we look different to the world than what they look. That there's something different. That when you meet somebody as a Christian, you're like, I don't even have to know. You don't have to get, have a name plate that on your chest or a name tag that's saying, hey, I'm a Christian. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. There doesn't have to be a light bulb going on anywhere. I can go, hey, I recognize something different in you because of why? Because of the way we love. But let me go a little bit deeper than that. How is that love demonstrated? Because I'm forgiving you If I forgive you in advance, there's nothing you can do to me. So take a husband and wife, a boyfriend and girlfriend, brothers and sisters, co-workers, and if each one of them determine, I am not going to let anything come against me. No matter what you do to me, I've already chosen I'm going to forgive you. Can you imagine those relationships can you imagine that wife who gets distru- di- just discouraged because of her husband doing something? It's like, oh, I've already made a choice. I'm going to forgive you. So I'm not even waiting for you. Practical example. I hate using myself as an example. I'm going to give myself as an example. This week, my wife and I had a moment that we weren't eye to eye, that we weren't happy with each other. And she got really upset with me and slammed the door and walked out. And I'm like, well... I'm just not going to forgive her completely until she comes back. She better come back and apologize to me. And I'm just telling you, just as soon as that thought, it wasn't even out of my mouth. It was just in my mind. And I felt God going, how about that message you preached last week? And it's like, oh, gosh, you're right. But I was happy. I wasn't really messed up with it. But I'm like, thank you, God, that this is practical. This is something I can look at and go, man, I'm using that right now. And I said, God, I'm not even going to hold on to that. I'm not going to look at whether I'm right, whether she's right. The direction you have for me is I'm forgiving her. And she came back right away and we got it all resolved. It wasn't any big deal at all. But that's the way I live. That's the way I want to live. That's the way I'm challenging you to come along with me. We're going to like link up arms and go, okay, we're in this together, and let's do this. But imagine that kind of a life lived and always forgiving one another. But you know what? Our life doesn't just happen the right way. As I was thinking about this, I had this illustration in my mind about a boat setting on a river, setting on anything. There's an undercurrent that's going in that river, and it's going a direction. Even if the top is, is smooth and it doesn't seem like there's a direction it's going. If you leave it alone, what's it going to do? Is it going to stay right there? 
It's going to move. The same way in our life. The world is going a direction. And it is going to pull us that direction automatically. If I open up an apple, I slice it in half and I lay it here, one day I may actually do that. And we'll watch it. What's going to happen over the course of my 20 minutes of talking to you? That where it's glistening white is going to turn yellow. The longer it's going to turn brown. Why? Because as soon as it's exposed to the world that we live in, it begins to die. We're the same way. The direction the world wants to pull us, the way that's just natural, is going to pull a direction. And yet God wants us to live a higher life. It is not natural to say, hey, I forgive you before you do anything. What's natural is, I'm going to hold on to that and I may never forgive you. Man, I'm re-preaching last week. I'm so sorry. I'm not so sorry. Psalm 139 says about us, God has all of our life written. It says, everything that's going to happen in your entire life, from when you were born till the last breath you have, is written in his book. It's a chapter in his book. But you know what? We can add chapters to that book. There can be chapters in there that God says, I didn't write that one. I didn't put that in there. You did that all. You stepped outside of me to do that. I don't want that to be the case. If you'll open your Bible with me to John chapter 2, we're going to look at the first miracle that Jesus did. Reading out of the New Living Translation. I'm just going to show you just a little bit of what was going on, tell you the backstory. They're there. It seems to be that Jesus' mom, Mary, is the one who really was tied in with the the couple that's getting married, maybe they're friends of the parents or whatever. But she invites Jesus and all the disciples to come to. It's like, hey, everybody come to the party because it's just going to be a happening thing and it's going to be great. I don't think she really wanted anything. I think she just wanted her son to be there, probably to show off, hey, this is my son, Jesus. These are all of his, his posse. These are the guys that he's hanging with. And you just watch them because God just gave me some things. And they get there and they're going through all the festivities of the wedding and how wonderful it is and they're about ready to cut the cake and all of a sudden they run out of wine and there's no more wine it's like how are we going to do the toast how are we going to do the father daughter dance how are we going to do all this stuff oh my gosh we ran out of it so here we see mary coming to jesus verse three then the wine supply ran out during the festivities so jesus's mother told him they have no more wine (laughs) i love jesus's being just like us verse four He says, dear woman, that's not our problem. (laughs) Isn't that sometimes how we are sometimes too? Hey, that's not my problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. He's not done one miracle, okay? He's not done anything to show the power of God being released on this earth. And his mom's like, hey, yeah, Jesus, we got a problem over here. And I'm expecting you to help me with it. So she turns, verse 5, And told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. She's putting him on the spot. He already told her, I'm not going to do nothing. It's not time for me to be released yet. We're just kind of here in the back. We're sitting at the back table. We're just chilling out, all right? We're just kind of watching from afar what's going on. She doesn't listen to that. And she says to the servants, do whatever he says. And I can just picture just walk it off. So he's not like, hey, but what? No, mom, I said no. Ah. Verse 6. 
standing nearby were six stone water pots. We're going to come back to that. Used for the Jewish ceremonial washing, each one could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some of it out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the masters of ceremony tasted the water that was now wine, Jesus did a miracle, his first miracle, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and he says, a host always serves the best wine first. So he serves the best stuff out there and everybody gets intoxicated. Okay, let's just be practical. They're going to get drunk and then they don't know what else is being given to them. And then they bring out the less expensive wine and keep filling the glasses with that because nobody knows because they're already blasted out of their ever-loving mind. But you've kept the best until now. This was a miraculous sign in Cana, the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him, it said. But I want to circle back a couple of um, verses. Michael, if you can put up chapter uh, verse 6. Standing nearby him was six stone water jars used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. As I dug into this, this is really cool. Now imagine something you can hold 20 to 30 gallons. How big is that? Can you tell me? That's pretty significant. And it said it's actually big enough you could get inside and wash your body with. They used it as a bathtub. So this was all the washing because the Jews were really, really crazy about making sure they're clean. So this is when they walked in. They're all washing their hands. And maybe some of them even got in completely. If they were completely a long ways that they walked, they get in. This is nasty, nasty, nasty water. This is like the refuge water that we will just maybe water the grass with. This is what we would flush. Jesus says, Fill them up to the top. It doesn't say, dump it out and go get me clean water. He says, fill it up. <laughs> 20 to 30 gallons. Now, I want, to, I want you to imagine with me some sanctified reasoning. You're the guy that's there as the host. The, the servant's there. And you're hired by the guy doing the wedding. And you're part of the, the, the hosting, the catering team. And this dude, you don't know who he is. Some woman just told you do what he said to do. And his solution is to take a cup of this nasty water and give it to your boss to try to hand out to everybody. Does that make any sense to you? I think it's amazing that they actually followed through with it. And the miracle came. Another story we're going to look at very quickly. The woman at the well. We've looked at this a couple of times. In John chapter 4, this is not that much further after that. Jesus is going with his disciples from town to town and God is revealing his glory in all these different ways. And he happens upon this woman. And he asks her for a drink. And it wasn't appropriate for him to be there. It was a place that only the women were supposed to be at. And here Jesus is by himself. And he tells the disciples, go on into town. And I'm going to stay here. He starts talking to her, which was not appropriate. 
according to their customs. And when he asked her for some water, she came back and says, how, how can I even get you water? You don't even have anything I can drop down into the well. You didn't come prepared. And Jesus answered to her, verse 10, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking for me a drink. See, if Jesus said, if you only knew the goodness of God, if you understood what God can do with whatever you have, you would be seeking from me. Isn't it interesting that both of these scriptures that we read deal with the need for satisfying a thirst? Jesus asked her for a cup of water, for a drink from the well, knowing what was in her heart. And he went on to ask her about her marriage, and she talked about that she's not married. And this great miracle happened, which isn't the focus of what we're looking at this morning. But what really stood out to me is the change that happened at the first miracle. Isn't that crazy? God was able, through Jesus, to take these stone jars full of nasty water and he turned that into something that they said was the best wine they'd ever seen. The best they'd ever experienced. Would you close your eyes with me? You know, sometimes our life can be like those clay pots. Stone pots. That can be how we are. That we just think that there's really nothing good inside of me. Pretty much everything is there is waste. Maybe from someone else even. But at the word of Jesus, the best extravagance can come forth. No matter where you find yourself this morning, in the, in the sound of my voice, God says no matter what's inside of you, I'm able to transform that into what I really want to flow forth out of you. But it requires obedience. It took obedience from two different people. First, his mother Mary said, do whatever he says. So as we find ourselves today in whatever place, the word's still there. Do whatever Jesus says. That's why next few weeks we're going to be looking at what Jesus actually says. The second was the obedience of the servants. I firmly believe it was still water until they got almost to the guy. It didn't make any sense. I don't believe it just all of a sudden magically turned into wine right before their eyes. Like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah, let me just take this up there. I think it took a lot of faith for them to dip that cup down in there and hand it over to the person. So today I want to challenge you. 
just like Mary said. Whatever he says, just do it. And then what he tells you to do, it may not make sense. It's certainly not going to be logical to us. You may not even see it happening. But start walking towards the obedience. We're going to pray in just a moment. And if that's you, if you want to be included in that prayer, you may already know Christ. You may have known Christ in the past and walked away. You may be challenged like I am of what God wants to do in our lives to bring forth extravagance. We have to obey him. If that's you and you want to be included in this prayer, I just ask you to raise your hand right where you're at. Father God, I pray for all of us who raised our hands. Lord, I'm right there in the middle. I'm asking you, Jesus, to tell me what to do every day of my life. And give me the power to do what you say. Lord, I'm challenged by your words. And I pray for everyone who raised their hands to be included in this prayer. That you'll give us the direction you want us to go. That you'll take the wastewater that's inside of us. That which everyone else has just discarded and left just used us and left us and you'll turn it into the most beautiful the most extravagant thing in Jesus name we pray amen now you know the interesting thing about both of those stories they're also a symbol of communion which we had today and of baptism In the coming weeks, we're going to have a time of baptism. And you're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. But think about those big pots, big enough to bathe in. And Jesus saying, as an act of obedience to following me, I want you to have that moment where you are submerged underwater and brought back up to newness of life. What a great symbolism that Jesus gave us as an example. And then even in this, that the pots were so big that they could take a bath in it. That's amazing to me. And we'll be looking at that in the future. All right. God bless you guys.